All right. Welcome. Good to see you today. Um, I just drove over this morning from up by Florence, where it's been 70 degrees for the last three days. And so I was preparing my message in 70-degree weather, so maybe it was a bit long. Now that I'm here and it's hot, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Having a great time with a bunch of high schoolers, uh, talking to them about having the kind of faith that is required in this world today. So last night was my opportunity to share, so I shared on Daniel 1, a young man, 14, 15, that was ripped out of his family, his tradition, his home, and transplanted to what the Bible calls the worst city ever. What city is that? Babylon. And yet he thrives there. Somehow he manages to live in Babylon, but Babylon never lived in him. So he's this brilliant example. So we were able to talk about that and work through some things so that our high schoolers can live at Hidden Valley or North Valley or Illinois Valley or Grants Pass and then not allow that to get into them, be lights. So I'm real excited about this next generation. There's some really great things happening. Um, If you're saying, what about my middle schooler? Well, we just changed our schedule in order to open up a middle school camp, and it's this weekend. So we just changed it because we think they're that important, that getting kids together, connected. You know why Daniel did so well? He had three buddies, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went through the fiery furnace. So part of why he did well was he had this community with him. All by himself, I think we don't know Daniel today. So we want to get high schoolers and middle schoolers connected together. So if you have a middle schooler, you got a great opportunity. We made it super affordable. It's this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I believe. I could be a little bit off, but you can find out all the information right down there. Um, Glad to be with you though. So grab your Bible. We've been going through the gospel of Matthew, the words of Jesus. Brilliant book. The more I read it, the more I study it, I just think, you know, when I'm done with chapter 28, we're just going to start over in chapter one again, because it's that, I like, I feel like I'm not hitting everything I should be hitting. Jesus is just so brilliant. So Wednesday will go a lot more uh, slower and take more time in this little air-conditioned room back here. You're welcome to join us Wednesday, seven o'clock. But right now we're in Matthew chapter 20. So once you've turned there, would you stand up? as we give reverence to the very word of God. Verse one. Really, I should read verse 30 because this is what launches it in chapter 19. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom, whenever you see the word for, it's connecting. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. 
And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Jesus, we thank you for the brilliant life you lived the way you responded, so gracious and so merciful and so true. We thank you for your teaching that we even now get to glean from and learn and feed on. I pray that we would learn the lesson of the kingdom of heaven from your words this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So because it's a little warm, Remember, you can move whenever you want. If you get hot, move. There are some spots. I see spots in the shade. If I was in the sun, I would move to the shade. But that's me. So I'm going to try to, I'll skip my introduction and we're going to jump right into this parable. But before I go, you need to notice two things that will help you, okay? This parable is about what? The kingdom of heaven. Excellent answer, okay? What is the kingdom of heaven? Is it something that we go to when we die? No, read Matthew 11. The Pharisees there say to Jesus, you're casting out demons by the power of the devil. And Jesus responds, listen, if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then know this, the kingdom has come among you. Right now, right here. The kingdom began when the king came to earth. That's when it began. And the kingdom of heaven, it's simply this. It's the place where the king rules. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. So Jesus, if you would, inaugurated the kingdom 2,000 years ago, and it will be completed when the king returns and rules in righteousness. You can read about that in Revelation 19 and 20. So that's the kingdom of heaven. So what's the parable about? It's about the rule of the king. So Jesus is telling us, hey, this is the rule of the king. Right here, us, we're supposed to be 
a little sneak preview of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that? The way that we walk, the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we act, we are supposed to be this little foretaste, this colony of heaven right now, demonstrating what it will look like, a city set on a hill, doing our good works so that glory goes to our Father in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be. So this is really about us. We are the kingdom of heaven right now. So that's the first thing. But before you push this analogy too far, notice what it says. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. What does that mean? It's not exactly right. It means it's kind of like this. So I can say about a woman, I, I can say, this woman is like my wife. Is that different from me saying this woman is my wife? Absolutely. Okay? So Jesus here is saying, this is like what the kingdom of heaven will be. But don't press these things too far. You get the big message. That's what you're supposed to get. Okay? So now let's go. And I'll try to be gracious because of the heat. Notice what happens. There is this master. He has a vineyard. And at 6 a.m., verse tells us, the master goes out and he starts to hire day laborers. 2,000 years ago, being a day laborer was the lowest rung on the economic ladder. In fact, slaves were considered better than day laborers. You know why? Because slaves were an investment that the master made. He made sure that they were clothed and fed and cared for you look at ancient slavery, very different than modern slavery. They were, they were an investment. And so they were cared for and their family would be cared for. Better to be a slave than a day laborer. A day laborer had no idea, will I make money today? Will I be able to feed my family? Will I be able to take care of my home? Will I be able to do any of that? It was the most precarious position to be in. So this master goes out and he goes and he sees these day laborers and he makes a contract with them at 6 a.m., right? He makes an agreement. Hey, work for me for one day and I'm gonna pay you a denarius. A denarius was what you made in a day. So they make a contract, if you would, and these guys at 6 a.m. say, okay, the first guys, contract with this master, we'll do it. Now, I don't have time to go through this. We'll look at this next Sunday a little bit. But in the Bible, the Old Testament a vineyard very often represented what nation? Israel, God's people. So we'll read Isaiah 5 next week where God uses a poem to talk about Israel as his vineyard. So there is this analogy in here that's real distinct and they would get it. Did God make a contract with the nation of Israel? Oh, absolutely. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. It was this deal he made with them. You do these things and I will do these things. If you don't do these things, then I'm going to do this, right? He made a contract, a covenant with them, the first, if you would. So that's in this parable. Makes this contract with them, all right? So they go, they work at 6 a.m. Then it says, verse three, he went back out at 9 a.m. and there's more workers wanting to work. So he hires all them. Goes out again at 12, noon, more workers, he hires them. Goes back out at 3 more workers, he hires them. Does he make a contract with these next ones? No. What does he say? Trust me that I'll do what's right. No contract. Trust me that I will do 
What's right? Now, why is he going out and hiring more workers? Well, if you're a farmer, I'm not exactly a farmer. I've read about farming. Sounds hard, especially when it's hot. But here's what can happen. So grapes, they ripen to a certain level and you want to pick them right then. Because if it rains on those grapes that are super ripe, it'll ruin them. They'll burst or sometimes the sugar content will get diluted. So maybe he saw a storm system building on the horizon and he knew I've got to get this harvested. So he keeps getting more and more workers to get in. I don't know why, but for some reason, he's hiring more and more and more and more laborers until at the very end, at 5 p.m., the 11th hour, this is where we get that term, the 11th hour. At the 11th hour, when there's only one hour of work left, he goes out and there are still people waiting to get hired. So if you're a day laborer and it's 5 p.m., how do you feel at that point? Hopeless. That's exactly right. My kids are not going to eat tonight. My wife is going to be disappointed in me. I am full of shame. I'm full of guilt. I'm worthless. Okay? So that's this group, the 11th hour group. They all feel that. So the master comes and says, why are you still standing around? And what do they answer? No one hired us. What does that mean? They're unhirable. That's what it means. These are the worst of the worst. They're unhirable. Okay? Why were they unhirable? I don't know. Maybe the wine industry had passed them up. They didn't have the skills anymore to do it. I don't know. Maybe the economic system there had moved beyond their skill. And so they had a talent gap and everybody knew it. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that this group just woke up. They're the drunks and the druggies, right? They just got out of bed and they're coming out just trying to find anything. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're all the old people, right? Could be. We want the young bucks, the hard work. No, you guys are, we don't hire you. I don't know why it is, but for some reason, all day long, these workers have been overlooked. And so the master says to them, go work and trust I'll do what's right. So they go out, work for maybe an hour, probably not even an hour because it took them a while to get there. So they work maybe an hour. And then work is over, 12 o'clock. It's six o'clock at night. The 12th hour is done. He begins to call in the workers the last and he pays those guys that had worked just one hour. He pays them 12 times what they deserve. What would they be doing at that point? Partying. My kids are gonna eat. My wife is gonna be proud of me. Yes, praise Yahweh. And they calls in the ones that had worked three hours and he pays them four times what they deserve. And he calls in the ones that had worked six hours and he pays them double. And he calls in the ones that had worked 11 hours and he gives them a bonus. Only one crew, the crew that made a contract, get exactly what they deserve. And what's their response? They get mad. They grumble and they complain. How interesting is that? It's a fascinating story. So I'll try to do four things. We'll see if we get there. My four things are this. I want you to get two kingdom perspectives, one real important warning, and then the application. If we are the people that are to be ruled by the king, then we should take this real, real seriously. If we're to represent the kingdom to Grant's past, then this should say, here's how I should be living, okay? So first, two perspectives. Perspective number one. 
do you want a contract God or a charitable God? Which one do you want? Do you want the God of the law or the God of grace? That's who's being compared here. Which one do you want? Do you, when you think about Jesus, what do you think about him? Is he generous and gracious and compassionate and someone that you just trust he'll do what's right? Or when you think of Jesus, are you worried? Uh-oh, what's he gonna do? Uh-oh, is he a fun hater? Uh-oh, what do you think? Here, here's my guess. If you really, really think about this parable, and I hope you do, I think most of us, deep in our hearts, we wanna contract God. We wanna say, God, if I do these things for you, I go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible every once in a while, I pray when, when things are bad, I send my kids to the right kind of school. If I do this stuff for you, God, then here's what I want you to do for me. I want long life. I want health. I want a good job. I want kids that tuck in their shirts and say, yes, ma'am. Right? I want enough money to pay my bills and maybe a little bit extra to go have fun on the weekends. I want a wife, a husband who looks attractive into their twilight years. Right? That's what we, honestly, if we're really honest, most of us, we're like this first group. We really want to contract God, right? We don't admit it, but really the way we live our life, we want to contract God. You owe me. Look what I've done for you. Now, how's that going to work for you? So most of your Bible, it's called the Old Testament. The majority of the Bible is what happens when you make a contract with God. Now, does God fail on his side of the contract? No, who fails? We do. So Francis Schaeffer gives the best illustration of how we will never be able to keep the contract. He says, you know what? Forget all the Old Testament laws. Let's not even go there. Let's do this instead. Let's say when you were born, every single human has hung around their neck a recorder and the recorder turns on records every time you make a law. Every time you tell someone else how they should live, that thing just turns on, beep, records that. So when you say to somebody, hey, man, you got to stop stealing, it just records that, okay? Hey, you got to stop lying, okay, it records that. Hey, you got to be kind to your neighbor. Hey, what's the big deal? He moved the property line a little bit. What? Come on, give him some compassion, records that, okay? Every time you tell someone else how they should live, you should recycle more. Look at you're throwing away good stuff. Every single little rule you say for your entire life is put onto that thing. Every time you tell your kids to do something, you never do. You shouldn't watch those bad movies on TV. Okay, it records it all. And at judgment day, you are called up into heaven and you stand before God and God says, I'm not gonna judge you. You judge yourself. Play the recording. Who here would say, I kept it all, man? I'm brilliant. No one. We don't even keep our own contract with ourselves. See, the problem with the contract is you can't do it. You can't do it. And if you try to, and if you treat God that way, you'll end up like these grumbling complainers, just angry at God. God, how can you, ugh, that's how you'll end up. Oh, be so careful of that. See, the kingdom perspective is very different. People say this to me every once in a while. They say, Matt, you just seem to be confident in life. And sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. But I'll tell you, there were two things in my life that were huge markers that changed my entire perspective on life and stopped me from doing the old thing of like comparing myself to other people like these guys do. Because when you compare, 
you complain. Here's what they were. Number one, it was when I really discovered why God loves me. And number two, it was when a five foot nine beauty said yes to me. Those two things, huge. Now listen, all of you can have number one. None of you can have number two. Mine, okay? When you really understand why God is generous to you, it transforms your life. You stop looking for a contract with him. You start looking for a relationship with a being who could be so good and so generous, it transforms you. And you stop comparing, which is the big thing. They complained. They were paid exactly what they deserved. They got mad and complained. Why? Because they compared. When all of a sudden you get this deep settledness about your life, you stop comparing. So I don't care how many people like me on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook account. It doesn't matter. I'm not looking for a million followers on Twitter. In fact, I don't really, for the most part, give a lot of care about comparing myself to other people. Like, here's the example my wife uses on me. It's the cars that I drive. Now, I like nice cars. I have no problem with it. But I don't really care what car I drive. It doesn't matter to me. So there was a time when I worked as an engineer and I had enough money to buy a different car. But I bought this car someone gave me. So just think about that for a minute. They gave me this vehicle. That's the value of it. It was a 1976 uh, four-door GMC baby blue pickup. They call them crummies, and it was crummy, okay? It was beat to snot. Not a single panel on that thing was straight. And I would drive that thing to work as an engineer back and forth. My wife said this. She said, Matt, that is the ugliest car in Josephine County. We live in Josephine County. That's saying a lot right there. Like, whoa, oh my goodness. Just, that's the picture. I would probably still be driving that truck, but one day I was driving to work and a tranny blew. God heard my prayers. Or I should say God heard my wife's prayers and answered them. Please God. Why? It doesn't matter to me. I don't get my value from those things. I am valued because I have been adopted by the king of the universe and I'm being made his son and one day I'm gonna rule and reign with him. Why do I care what gets me from point A to point B? Why do I care how someone else is successful? I don't. I'm a son of King Jesus. That's the perspective of the kingdom, number one. Number two is in the kingdom, in the kingdom, God loves the last picked. Did you notice that? Who were the most blessed people? The 5 p.m. people, the people that just woke up, hung over, whatever the problem, old, unworked, unhirable. Those are the ones that God says, I'll take those. I'm gonna bless the socks off of them. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, God loves the underdog. Do you know that? He loves the underdog. He chooses Israel and he says this, it's Deuteronomy 7. He says, I did not choose you because you were the greatest people or the strongest people or the best people. I chose you because you were the least people. And I love you, he says there, because I love you. Not because of some quality you have, but simply I've decided I'm gonna pour my love out on you. It's a theme. Read the book of Judges. You have two huge people in Judges, Samson and Gideon. Who would we pick if we were putting together our team? Samson, man, strongest man ever. Brilliantly smart. Good with the ladies. Too good with the ladies. It was his downfall, right? That's who we'd pick. He's a colossal failure. 
right? How about Gideon? Gideon says, I am the least of my family from the smallest tribe. I am puny and scared and you should not pick me, God. That was his analogy of himself. He was probably right. And God says, be quiet. I'm gonna use you. And he leads Israel on one of the greatest revival in the book of Judges. Samson never led Israel to any revival. God loves the underdog. How about the first two kings of Israel? Saul, it says this about Saul, that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. Like when you looked at Saul, you said, that dude's a king. He looks like a king, talks like a king, walks like a king. Yes. Was he a good king? No. People were crying. How about David? Didn't look like a king. Do you know that? When Samuel comes to anoint a new king, he says to Jesse, get your boys together. One of them will be king. So Jesse gets his boys together, but guess who he leaves out? David. Why? (laughs) That dude's not king. He does not look like a king. And God's answer is this. Man judges on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. I see things no one else sees and I call them up and I make people that you would never think ever could be something I make them into kings. I love that. God loves the underdog. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says this, look around you. Not many noble, not many wise, not many that are making the top 10 list on whatever. But guess what? God loves that because when he uses you, he gets the glory. Look at the great things God has done. I'll give you one more example, me. You see me at this point, but if you would have seen me in the 10th grade, very different. So I was a kid that loved school. I like school, like going to school, like to learn. I'm still in school. I guess I really like to learn. But there was one thing in school that I dreaded. 10th grade, Mr. Hurley's English class. We had a week called speech week. I hated it. I had never talked in front of people and I hated the thought of it. Like it turned my stomach upside down. I prayed more that week than I probably ever prayed in my life. And I prayed for fires and earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes, alien abductions. I don't care, God. Surprise me, right? Anything to stop this thing. My prayers were unanswered. So Monday, I get into that class. And there, of course, Mr. Hurley begins by saying, hey, we've got speech week. If anyone would like to volunteer, they can come first. Oh, me, 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 me. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And these people would get up there so calm and so poised, and so funny, and so hilarious. I hated them. (laughs) Because they were just making the comparison that much worse. Because when I would get up there, I would stare at one little tile, dripping with sweat, dry mouth, butterflies where I could barely talk, mumbling through the thing, and then sit down. You're just making it worse for me, Miss Thespian. Thank you. (laughs) Right? So then once the volunteers were done, Mr. Hurley then said, I'm going to have to choose people. So I had two strategies back then. First strategy was this. He picked on people that looked like they were not prepared. So I'd be like, go ahead. So ready. And then my second one was this. I would sit behind a very large person because I was very skinny. (laughs) Just hoping he wouldn't see me. Like hopefully a junior who had been held back because of number one, he'll pick on him. And then, oh, I hated it. If you were to tell me in the 10th grade, Matt, your job will be standing in front of lots of people talking twice a week. I would have said, I rebuke you, Satan, get behind me, (laughs) right? 
But God loves to take the last picked and say, watch me do what you thought was impossible. That's why this upside down kingdom, the first being last and the last being first is so exciting. You have no idea. We have no idea what God's gonna do. It makes every day exciting. This is the kingdom we live in. God could turn this thing upside down in a moment. God could reward me greater than I could possibly imagine. It's what makes the kingdom so brilliant. That's the kingdom perspective, okay? But in here, there's a warning for us. And it's verse 15. Listen to what it says. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do we ever begrudge God's generosity? You ever looked at someone you thought did not deserve the blessing and when they get blessed, you get mad? Anyone ever or just me? And I do it. Why that guy? He's a 5 p.m. or I'm a 6 a.m. or come on, God. I get up early. Why would you bless them? You ever begrudge God his generosity? You're single, looking for a husband, looking for a wife. And all of a sudden you get these invitations to these weddings. And you know that dude is a total 6 p.m.er. Man, he's not even up in time for work. Why in the world is he getting married? Where's my woman? That's begrudging God, his generosity. You're looking for a home right now. Hard to find one. Everything's selling fast. You get a Twitter update from somebody. Hey, we just found our home. We're moving in next month. What do you think? One less for me. (sighs) Right? It happened to me. I remember this. I remember this conversation. It changed the way I looked at things. It was back in 2000. I was looking for some property to build on. Three and a half acres out Upper Upper River Road, tucked back in $25,000. I mean, have things changed or what? And that was a good deal back then. So I called up, it was like just a day in. I call up the real estate agent and I'm like, hey, that, that property for sale, I want to buy it. He's like, oh, we already have an offering on it. Um, it's going. I said, well, there, is there a second on it? No, there's no seconds. I said, well, I'd like to put a second on it. And the real estate agent said, no, you know, it, it's only 25 grand. I don't know what he makes on commission, not much. He didn't want to deal with it. So I'm like, no, I'd really like to put, and he goes, I'm not taking any more offers on it. It's sold, it's done. Okay, fine, whatever, hang up. So it disappears for a while. Three months later, it pops back up because the person's finances had fallen through and they couldn't buy it. I was so mad. I should have been the second on that. I should have got that property. I should have got that great deal. So I'm telling this guy, his name is Bill Woodhead. Anyone know Bill Woodhead? Fantastic man. And he's a real estate dude. So I thought I was gonna get sympathy sympathy from him. I'm like telling him this story. And before I could get to my anger, he goes, oh, Matt, that's so awesome. I'm like, what? He goes, God chose to bless somebody else. (laughs) What? That is not the answer I want. I want some anger here. What was I doing? I was begrudging God, his generosity to someone else. Oh, this is something we do so often. What kind of people are we called to be? We live in this kingdom. What kind of people are we called to be? Ebenezer Scrooges or eternal citizens of heaven? We're called to be a different kind of people, a people that rejoice in the generosity of our God. Romans 12 says this, that we are to rejoice with those that rejoice. When God decides to bless somebody, even if we deem them undeserving, which is what they did, 
We're supposed to be those where our hearts just are overwhelmed and we just see God as more generous than we could imagine. Are you kidding? You bless that moron? God, you are so good. Wow. The worse they are, the more we should rejoice in God's generosity. That's a citizen of the kingdom, rejoicing with those that rejoice, okay? Now, here's my application, final point, all right? We're supposed to be citizens like this. The Bible says this, when you believe in Jesus, your citizenship is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. It's Philippians 3.20. And because we're now citizens of this different world, Colossians are not Colossians. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says this. Now we become ambassadors of this kingdom. So we belong to this different kingdom and now we're supposed to be demonstrating as ambassadors of it what that kingdom looks like. Well, this tells us kind of like what the kingdom is supposed to look like. We're supposed to be, you and I, we're supposed to start looking like our heavenly father, right? If you have kids, here's what you know. They start looking like you, right? The older my kids get, the more I say, oh, that's me. And even my young one, my two-year-old son, Myron, a couple of months ago, we were out in the field and we were working together. And if you know me, I have a side of me that, that I, I tend to tease a lot and be kind of sarcastic. I have that in me. And so I tease a lot and I'm, I'm sarcastic. So I've got Myron, my two-year-old, and we're kind of working together. I'm not getting much accomplished, but it's just kind of fun being with him. And the whole time he keeps saying this, he keeps calling me Matt. Yeah. So, so I stop, I go, Myron. I said, buddy, I am so glad to be your dad. I said, one of the best things God has ever given me is you. And to be your dad is like such a privilege. I can't tell you how awesome it is to be your dad. And so that's why I love it, buddy, when you call me dad. Because it reminds me how blessed I am, that I'm dad. I said, so buddy, can you call me dad? Is, is that okay? He looks at me and goes, okay, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I was like, <laughs> I deserve it. I earned that. We're supposed to start looking and reflecting the qualities and character of our Heavenly Father. And what's the main quality and character of the master of the vineyard? Generosity, extravagant generosity. The least desired, last hired, generous. The mark of us in Grant's past that demonstrates we're part of the kingdom of heaven should be extravagant generosity. So I'm gonna give you one example and I'm done. And I usually don't use examples of myself unless they're negative, but this one I'm just gonna have to use and I'll lose my rewards, whatever. So 10 years ago, I got my Volkswagen van fixed a little bit and painted and some stuff. And I used this guy out in Selma. He's like 65 years old, nice guy, great guy. Um, and he told me it'll be 2,400 bucks. I say, okay, no problem. And so take it out there. He starts in on it. It's, it's a, like a six month process, no problem. So he's working on it. And he calls me after two months and says, you know what? This thing was worse than I thought. It's gonna cost a little bit more. I said, how much? He goes, well, about 600 bucks more. It's gonna be about three grand. I said, okay, no problem. So he keeps working on it. About a month later, he calls me. Hey, I want you to check something out. Would you come out and check something? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make some decisions. Sure. So I drove out to Selma. I get there and, and we're looking at the van and, and talking. And I see his wife. And his wife, same age as him, she's out in this big field and the grass is like three feet tall and she has this 20 inch mower and she's mowing the grass. And I'm just watching her thinking, man, I should bring my wife out here. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm so kidding. 
I'm so kidding. That's, she's not here today. She's at camp. Praise God. <laughs> so I kinda, I'm just kind of watching. I think, oh, okay, that's interesting. So then I go home, and about a month later, my father-in-law gave me a, like a nine-month-old, 20-horsepower riding lawnmower. And I already had one like this 25-year-old craftsman one. So now I've got two riding lawnmowers. So he finishes it, and I think to myself, I'm going to give him a riding lawnmower. Now, guess which one I was going to give him? Yeah, but then God said this, give him the new one. No. Come on. I mean, then. So I did. So I pulled that. Oh, it looked brand new. Pulled it up on the trailer. I was going out to pick up my Volkswagen on, took it out there. I pull in there and he and his wife and actually his son and daughter-in-law were there and they look at that and the guy comes over and goes, hey, hey, listen, I can't do any partial trades. You got to give me three grand. So I pulled out three grand. I handed it to him. I said, the lawnmower is not for you. It's for your wife. And his wife just started crying. Give me a big hug. She goes, no one has ever done that for me. Why'd you do that? I said, because God has blessed me so much. I just want to bless you. And there's a lot more to that conversation, but that should be the way we live. The mark of our lives should be this extravagant generosity that just goes behind us and flavors everything we do where people are, I don't understand them. What's your deal? My heavenly father has been so good to me and so generous to me. How can I not react like him? That's the mark of the kingdom. That's what we want to be. So we end every service the same way. Prayer and baptisms. If you've come here today and you need prayer, maybe your prayer is something we talked about today. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm last pick. I'm standing out here, it's 5 p.m. and I I don't have a job and I don't know what God's doing with me and I'm just lost. I need the master of the vineyard to come and speak to me and give me what I'm supposed to be doing. And we'd love to pray for you about that. Maybe you've been dealing with God in a way that's contract and maybe you're angry at God and complain with God. I've been there. God, you don't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Maybe you need prayer over you that you start to look at God as a generous God and it changes the entire way you look at life. Maybe that's it. You've been begrudging God his generosity. Or maybe, maybe today, you need to be baptized. So the Bible says this, that we are to repent and be baptized. That part of the Christian faith is just receiving the grace of Jesus Christ and then also obeying that grace which says, be baptized. So maybe you came here today and you just know, I need to be baptized. I need to, and this is what I compare it to, I need to put on the jersey that says I'm part of team Jesus. I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. And I haven't been acting like the kingdom of heaven And so today I am having that old me die in these waters and I'm being resurrected into a new life, a life of power, a life where I live like my king. So we offer those things to you today. If you're doing fine, then I'm gonna ask you, when you go here this week, say, how can I be like the master of the vineyard? How can I be so extravagantly generous to the people around me? Because I'll tell you what, whatever I could have sold that lawnmower for, that feeling. I can't explain it. That emotion, that touch, that presence of God in that moment, I would pay any penny for that emotion, for that feeling, that feeling of giving and belonging to the kingdom in a way that blesses my king. That's better than any lawnmower could ever bring me. When you live this generous way, 
It's not God taking something from you. It's God saying, this is how life is designed to be lived. Now you are in sync with all creation because you're in sync with the creator. And so Father, I thank you for this brilliant day and for your incredible son. Thank you for the unspeakable gift that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray for forgiveness for myself where I can tend to begrudge your generosity and it leads me to complain and see things as small and scarce and limited instead of seeing you and your generosity as great and magnificent and beautiful. So forgive me, Lord. And may each one of us walk out of here in obedience. If it's to get prayer, may we get prayer. If it's to be baptized, may we get baptized. If it's to simply go from here and be the most generous kingdom people we can be, then Lord, empower us for that kind of generosity. And may we see the city of Grant's past transformed because of the master of the vineyard. He's been so generous to us, the last picked, and now we're generous to others. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.